we were sitting here a few minutes before we started and just again feeling the atmosphere here just the tenderness and the love and I just I found myself really starting to sort of tear up just being so touched by the sweetness the tenderness that's here so really appreciate your meditation and just feeling that goodness that you're all emanating uh, how many people have uh, decided they're going to, for the time being, stay with Metta? Okay. And I, I think last night, perhaps we made it sound like you, at this moment, needed to either commit to moving on or staying with Metta for the entire retreat. And in fact, you could go another day or at some point say, I want to switch to Karuna and, or what have you. So... You know, look at it to, to stay with the meds as long as it feels like it's helpful and necessary, productive, that kind of thing. Okay, so I'm going to talk about karuna, which uh, is compassion. And to talk about compassion, or we really can't talk about compassion fully until we talk about suffering. And the first noble truth of Buddhism is effectively life is suffering, life is unsatisfactory. So the idea or the concept and the experience we have is that we are going to suffer. We're going to get things that we really like and they're not going to stay. And the things we want, we're not going to get. And the things we don't want, we're going to get. So we're going to have lots of opportunities to feel suffering. And the, the normal orientation towards suffering, starting from when we we're infants, is the outside, outside of us, is controlling uh, our inner experience. So whether the outside gives us the good stuff and takes away the bad stuff, that's what uh, we interpret as suffering, at least at the start. We, we get more sophisticated, of course, as we get older. And I was thinking about suffering when I was in the Zen tradition. Really, the, the only Brahma Vihara that I remember being talked about was compassion, which was talked about a fair amount. And talked about in a way of saying, well, you should feel compassion for yourself and feel compassion for others. And sometimes it would be explained that the, the, the hard sittings we would do were intended to be painful, so you could really experience your own suffering. And the idea on one level was that it could generate compassion for yourself, for your own suffering. And what I found in, in retrospect was I viewed compassion as being something like a guardian angel, that I would really be with my own suffering and I'd really be uh, orienting, saying internally, uh, I really would like my suffering to either cap off here or get a little bit less. That would be really great about now. And so it was kind of a bargaining or some kind of, you know, petitioning to get compassion. But I clearly viewed it as something outside that I was needing to get to deal with the suffering. And I think in terms, so that's one of the ways that we uh, relate to suffering is, uh, well, well, the rising of compassion, but how that happens, I'll talk about in a minute. But the other way that compassion 
that I saw in myself, the way that compassion maybe, let's say, I functioned believing I was, I was expressing compassion, was helping others. And I think in, again, retrospect, I would see people obviously seeing their suffering. I would go through my own process about what their suffering was, what the causes were, and what the solutions were to their suffering. And then I would offer something in the solution category to them. And you can imagine and predict that normally it was not well received. <laughs> because they weren't me. And they weren't seeing that with the clarity that I had what exactly was. <laughs> I was very disappointed. <laughs> but ultimately what was really happening was I wasn't really being witness to their suffering. I was intellectualizing it, conceptualizing it, and then figuring out a conceptual intellectual answer to it. So really, what compassion is, is, again, compassion is a quality of our true nature. So if we talk about emotions, we're talking about something that's personality-related or personality-created. So we're not talking about emotions here. We're talking about a deeper quality, like you've been in contact with metta, something that's very deep within your uh, deeper nature. And it, 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 compassion is needed, it's necessary, it's helpful to be present to suffering. So initially, compassion is only when we're, like we're doing the, the uh, karuna meditation, the the proximate cause is someone's suffering. So by holding someone's or seeing someone's suffering in your mind's eye enough, what will arise is compassion of just really not uh, wishing they weren't suffering on some level, but really just being able to be with, to be present to their suffering without trying to change anything, just to be here with them. And, and sometimes that's enough witness that people need. It's just you're, you're with them in a way that they get. You're with, see their suffering as it is, and it's truth. And sometimes it's just that little bit, and may, maybe there's some words, a little bit of mirroring people can really resonate with and can land. It looks like that's really painful. You know, something really obvious and simple sometimes is, is really what's called for. But again, it's arising from the karuna rather than from the mind, the fix. So, again, I saw in my own helping that I wasn't helping, and that's how I think with, with the karuna uh, arising from our true nature, it really has to do with the truth of the situation. There is suffering. There are things that are unpleasant. There are things that are painful. We suffer. Other people suffer. So it's, again, the being with. That's really what's so important about compassion. To being present to, and to be clear, it isn't. It isn't the. There's a Tibetan practice called Tonglen, which Tina mentioned the other night. And for those that don't know, the Tonglen practice is the practice where you consciously, as part of the meditation, let's say you ingest the energy of the world that's unwholesome, that's bad, that's painful, that's distorted, and within your own meditation you effectively purify that or clean it up and then what you uh, what you're exhaling is you're exhaling purified energy whatever name you want to put on it 
And this is a practice that's an extremely sophisticated practice. And the various Tibetan teachers that Tina and I have studied with have all said, don't do Tonglen. This is this, you know, this is like a very high-end monastic practice. It's it's been and, and I'll admit that when I was young, I actually tried this, of course. This won't surprise too many people. But, um, and, and I thought, oh, yes, I'm really you know, far along, so I'll, I'll try this Tonglen thing. And so, and I did this for just maybe a week or so, just sort of taking in what I could imagine as or conceptualize as the negative, and then trying to purify and put out the, the clean energy. And it was just awful. It was really, really hard, and it was really difficult to get it back out of my system. It was like I, I couldn't spit it back out. And I realized that I really wasn't at all ready for this, and I could see, and I'd done it in a very mild way. I hadn't taken on world wars or anything you know, significant, but it, w- it was really, really difficult, and uh, I-, I felt affected for a long time. So this is why we, may, we, we clarify this. This is not the practice. This is not what we're doing. This is about your being with suffering, your own and other suffering. Again, it's about authentically being present to suffering. It's about having a response to suffering that's wholesome. And it's really, we're trying to lessen any illusion, delusion story we have about suffering and compassion to just be present. So I think that's, you have any comments on compassion or suffering? Um, yeah, I'll just say that, you know, there's a tendency, and you'll talk about the near and far enemies in a minute, yeah. but there's a tendency, like, just part of my personality is that when I, in the, in the past, you know, I thought sort of part of my function was to fix it. And so if there was suffering, what can I do to fix it for the person? And there are times when we do want to do something, when we can do something, and it's appropriate to do something. Um, And yet, I think there were times when I did that, and I actually wasn't feeling compassion. I was actually just trying to fix the problem, because I couldn't tolerate the discomfort of suffering. So... You know, this is, it's always a judgment call, how much can we do to actually take action to alleviate suffering? And then there are those times, of which there are many, when nothing can be done. I mean, I had a a health issue about a year ago, and it involved a lot of physical pain, and there was literally nothing medically that could be done. And it was such a teaching for me, and, you know, and, and it was pretty constant for, like, months. You know, it was high level, eight or ten level pain. And it taught me so much about compassion because literally there wasn't anything to do about the pain. And all I could do was really be with myself and with how much pain I was in. And it really was a great cultivation, actually, of, of compassion in the face of not being able to do anything. And we all face these situations where loved ones die. We have... Difficult things happen to us. Bad things happen in the world, and um, and this is like Stephen said. Really, this is the first noble truth: is that while there's so much beauty in life, ultimately things that aren't that are unsatisfactory are going to happen to all of us, and we can't stop those. 
You know, we can't permanently make our situation perfect so that uh, these won't arise. And so that's really what we're talking about here is how can the heart respond <coughs> when, especially in the face of when it can't be fixed? And can we actually develop a capacity to tolerate the discomfort of being with that in such a way that we can still be present? That we don't have to leave, we don't have to go up into our heads or, you know, do whatever mechanisms we might have to, to like move away to get some space that we can actually stay right there with whatever it is that's causing the suffering or with the person who's suffering. And, and uh, to emphasize again, the compassion isn't about fixing anything. It's not taking away your suffering. It's not taking away anybody else's suffering. It's being present. That's what we're working with. So, the, as you've seen, the proximate cause is someone's suffering. And the the with Karuna, you, that's the first object is someone else's suffering because it's the easiest to have contact with and for compassion Karuna to arise. The near enemy, and again, the near enemies are effectively the egoic reaction to our suffering or someone else's suffering. Those are can be righteous anger, fear, grief, and particularly pity. And, and pity can sometimes, people can confuse compassion for pity, where they feel, oh, isn't that too bad? But there's a way you're not actually meeting them. There's a sort of a judgment in it. Uh, and as Tina said, it's a way to distance. So, th- and, and these reactions, if you see the near enemy appearing, this isn't a place for you to, to see yourself as wrong or doing it wrong. It's just noticing that this is a normal egoic reaction. <coughs> but that's not actually compassion. That's what's important here. And then if you suffer because you reacted with one of the near enemy, say, fear, um, then be in touch with your suffering about fear arising and not wanting fear to arise. So it gives us more opportunities for Can I jump in? Yes. We had um, a friend of ours, actually, who some of you know, Brian Gavin, who was the teacher that we had authorized. And these are his ashes. And we, we spread a little bit of his ashes yesterday by the teacher's cottage, which he loved, and by the meditation hall here. I'm taking the rest of the crest on a retreat there in August, and there's this magnificent stupa there that contains relics of the Buddha and Padmasambhava and all the karmapas and just kind of all, all the heavyweights of Tibetan Buddhism, and so I'm going to scatter them there. So it's this beautiful cliff. So we thought Brian would like that to be, be in touch. But it's, you know, when, when, and he died very suddenly. It was, I mean, was, he was 60 years old, very healthy and robust. And when that happened, it was so sudden. And we went and we flew up to be where he was on his deathbed. He um, he was at a bike race and well, he had his actually had his feet in the stirrups, was warming up, and he just his heart stopped and he just went over and never regained consciousness. And when that happened, I went through so many different emotions, you know, because we they weren't sure if he would be taken off life support. We were told that he was. His brain was basically brain dead. And um, so we flew to Spokane to be with at his bedside as he died. 
and then we didn't know if they were going to take them off life support or not. And there were so many things that came up for me, you know, fear and and shock and and um, wondering whether I could actually be there. And we were officiating as the giving him Buddhist last rites with you know, 20 people gathered around his ICU bedside. And so it was really a great, um, for me it was a real opportunity to feel all of these different things. And then, you know, we were having to be there for other people while we were really having our own processing of this sudden death of somebody who we thought we would know and who would be teaching with us for 20 more years or something. And, um, well, and also we had just—he had just been on the month-long retreat here. So yeah. was three weeks after that, I mean, some of you, the four or five of you that were on the retreat, he was quite vigorous and healthy and had a great retreat. So it was extremely sad. Yeah. So it was, you know, this was the opportunity when I saw things coming up to just not judge where I was, and yet to really stay as much as I could in my heart and and to really be present as hard as it was and as much as. You know, I wasn't sure. I'd never actually been with somebody at the moment when they took life support off, and we knew that they were going to die right then. And everyone except Stephen and me and his girlfriend left the room. And it was just so um, touching. <laughs> so this is the kind of thing that, you know, compassion is really being there, being able to just stay no matter what is happening. And that was something we couldn't fix. So this is really the heart of what we're talking about with compassion. Uh, coming back to the practice, um, I noticed yesterday a few of you during the course of meditation, um, occasionally putting your right hand over your heart, as Tina had you do in one of the, one of the talks. And it's a great way to have contact with yourself. If you're just feeling like there's a need for a physical contact or to be um, just more intimate with yourself, it can be a great practice to just you know, put your hand in your heart for whatever period of time feels suitable to do. And there's something about it that really... It, we're in a group with some neuroscientists and Dharma teachers, and the neuroscientists tell us there's some neuroscience benefit, but... It's something that you can do for yourself that's um, really helpful. Okay, so um, with Karuna, the far enemies, which are in effect the opposite of compassion, cruelty, and enjoying other suffering. So those would be absolutely uh, the opposite. And as I mentioned, the sequence of beings started with the suffering person, and then you do yourself. So to find an example in your life presently, or if you don't have anything presently, so something in the past where you felt there was suffering, and to just uh, be with yourself, be with that, that suffering. And again, we're not wanting to fix it. So notice if you, if you move to fix it, if you want to somehow change it, or make it better, or improve it, because that, that, that's the habit pattern. And it's fine to notice that and ideally have it be present uh, until it's not. But, um, and notice if you do fix it. And then see if you can come back to the suffering, because of course that's not the function of compassion typically. 
So phrases, um, you've got a sequence of beings there, but the phrases, the, the classic phrase, may this good person be freed from suffering. And, and again, we want you to find phrases that are really resonate for you, that work for you. So some of the alternate phrases, and you can pick any one of these, may you be free from your suffering, I care about your pain, may you find peace, May you open to this pain with tenderness. May you be okay with this pain, let go of this pain. So you can find whatever phrase works. And again, the phrase is our support. Our object is, is the suffering person or the suffering of ourselves or someone else. And then we're just with that in a way as open-heartedly as possible to uh, allow Karuna to arise. And, and in the phrase Karuna, there's just one phrase, so right. you're not cycling through. You're not doing all these, right? So, right. And, and I just wanted to highlight, too, that depending on the situation, there's different phrases. And you, you don't have to pick one phrase that you use for every situation. So it's fine that you have a couple. You can see that some of them are more about really our wish for the suffering to end. And others are more focused on um, being able to be with the suffering. So depending on the situation that's arising for yourself or for another one, one or the other of those might be more appropriate. You know, because some situations, they may resolve, or there may be the possibility. Like we have a friend who just had surgery on um, Thursday. And most likely she will recover and she'll be even better than she was before but it was really this eye surgery is really scary and so something about you know I care about your pain or may the suffering end soon would be more appropriate whereas um, if somebody say we, we don't know anybody at the moment who is dying but somebody who is in the process of dying it's more about being able to be with that process. I mean, I guess in some ways it will end at some point, but you know, you can get a sense of how there may be a different orientation based yeah, on the situation. And also the category of beings, you'll notice that it's the, again, suffering person, self, benefactor, friend, neutral person, difficult person. And one of the possibilities with, when working with the difficult person, which you don't have to do, but it might become appropriate, is that with the contact with Karuna, sometimes we can actually see or have kind of a knowing about that their unskillful behavior is caused by their own pain and suffering. So even though they inflict pain and suffering from some people all to everyone around them, sometimes being with them, we can feel that. So again, we're not saying search that out. We're just saying that's possible. So you with a difficult person, just see see what happens there. It's a more sophisticated application uh, for certain, and also when we're well established in Karuna, that's the time when it might be possible. So I have a. Um, yeah, the only the only thing I would add is that another way to practice with Karuna is to really consider beings that we, we may not know personally, but people who are really causing the suffering. Like, you know, just to pick something out of the current news, members of ISIS. 
and you know, I've read just some things that are just, I can't believe humans can do these things to other humans, you know. But um, one of the ways that they have this help us in Buddhism is that those beings are really creating a lot of karma for themselves. And they're, they're creating karma for themselves, whereas the people they're doing these things to aren't generating karma. They're suffering tremendously because of what's being done to them. But um, this is another way to engage this practice is to actually do karuna for people who are causing suffering. Um, and, you know, again, this is your practice and you have to feel what's right for you. But, like, for me, I know that a lot of times I'll look at the news and it feels sometimes so overwhelming, some of the awful things that are happening on the planet. And it can feel kind of like, well, I, what can I do? I can't do anything. And this is a way to engage with the more of a general kind of suffering that may not relate to you directly, but you can feel the the suffering in it um, by engaging with this practice, with the Karuna practice, both for the victims and for the perpetrators. And um, I know for me, a lot of times it feels like um, it's a way to engage with that kind of suffering in the world that I can include all beings and have some understanding of um, of the goodness in being that, I mean, we have belief in karma and you may not have that, but there's a way where somehow I can hold that in a way that I can be, have some peace. So this is just another, another aspect is to, to include people that cause suffering in the Karuna practice. So I'm going to close with the a quote, and we were we were told this is the favorite quote of the Dalai Lama. For as long as space endures, and as long as living beings remain, may I too abide to dispel the misery of this world. And that's from the way of the Bodhisattva by Shantideva. And of course, the Dalai Lama is the Bodhisattva of compassion. So we get a few minutes to Yeah, so we'll sit for about twenty minutes and Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.